And welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room, a post Breeders' Cup edition. I'm Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News, also co-host down the stretch show on Sirius XM with Dave Johnson. Randy Moss with uh, NBC Sports back home after uh, after our fun week on the road. I saw Zoe as well. Zoe Cabin here with First Racing. Delighted to be on today. We're taping this on Monday, so. I can kick on out to the desert, but great show, Randy, and uh, a terrific Breeders' Cup that we're going to dissect right now. Yeah, it really was a, a good Breeders' Cup with a lot of great performances. we got a ton to talk about, uh, particularly in the races. But guys, let's start off with the, frankly, heartbreaking news that we all woke up to this morning. Again, we're recording this on Monday, and Cody's Wish and Cody Dorman had been such a great story for horse racing. It was just something that, you know, put joy in your heart. Every single time you heard the story, Cody's Wish wins the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile for the second straight year. We wake up this morning and learn that Cody Dorman passed away on Sunday en route from Los Angeles and uh, the Santa Anita to his home in Lexington, Kentucky. And, and guys, this is truly, it's a cliche, but this is truly one of these things where there are no words. I mean, I, I don't know what to say beyond the news. It, it's something that, that hits home. It is so sad. Uh, but thank you, Cody, for all the great memories. And I know, Randy, uh, NBC was all over the story, including at last year's Breeders' Cup. And I remember even watching the show last year, how emotional you were. So uh, I'm sure like the rest of us, this, this really uh, was a punch cut to the stomach for you. Oh, I mean, last year, <clears throat> last year at the Dirt Mile, at the Breeders' Cup, when the horse hit the finish line in front, uh, I got choked up and I thought to myself, my God, I'm glad I don't have to talk. And I looked over at Jerry and Jerry was, was uh, misty eyed. And then I looked at Ahmed Farid, who was our host. He had tears running down his, you know, and, and we just, it, it was, everybody felt the same way. Uh, he touched his story, touched so many different people. And it is truly heartbreaking what happened, but then you think about it as well, how much, his life was enriched over the last couple of years by this horse. And his dad, Kelly Dorman, would tell that to everybody. I mean, he sent a text uh, to the NBC people uh, after, uh, I think it was after a little shoot we did with them right before the Breeders' Cup. And he said uh, that, you know, you all, meaning everyone in the horse business and a special horse have most likely saved Cody's life. Uh, if you remember Kelly Dorman talking about Cody last year, he was in kind of a downward spiral uh, and they really didn't think he was going to last much longer. He had seemingly lost the will to live. And then the, the Cody's wish story came along and the horse came along and, and suddenly it seemed to rejuvenate him. So, you know, so yeah, it's so sad, but it's also in a way, uh, it's it's a good feeling that that Cody had a chance to experience what he experienced uh, at the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita as a last memory. I mean, what a terrific story to 
I hate to say it. I mean, th- there's going to be a movie made about it that's already in the works, but to go out like that and big thanks to the Make-A-Wish Foundation who facilitated all of this from the get-go because they're the ones that picked him out. He went when this fall was just a weanling and that's when this all started. I mean, it's just a, a beautiful story that you can't you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's a true beautiful story about a boy that falls in love with a horse and the bond that horses have with humans. It's just absolutely fabulous. And having finally met Cody and his family and listening to Kelly talk about how he'd never even been on an aeroplane, but flew out to the Breeders' Cup. Like, you can't make this stuff up. And this is why horse racing is more than just the horses. It's the stories that it encompasses. And that is one of probably one of the best stories that we'll ever have in horse racing. Big heartfelt thanks to the Make-A-Wish, to Godolphin, and I mean, the family, to bring him out and go out like that. It's tear jerking, it's emotional. Uh, I mean, the first thing I checked, honestly, and I hate to say this, I'm like, well, is Cody's Wish okay as well? Because they seem to have such a bond. I know Cody's Wish, got on an airplane Sunday morning as well. Him and Elite Power left right away. There was a flight out of here. And they just had such a bond. It's a fascinating story. And you could not have had a better, for lack of a better word, front man than Kelly Dorman, the father. Absolutely. Right? I mean, he had no experience in public speaking of any kind. And yet he was just so articulate. He would speak from the heart. Uh, and he just always found the right words to say at the right time that just really brought the whole thing even more front and center. Um, so, you know, condolences to all of them, best wishes to the whole family, the, uh, the little sister who was, uh, so wonderful the whole, yeah. the whole time, you know, very, it's very sad to wake up to. And this is what the Dorman family had to say in the uh, press release that they uh, released just a few hours ago. And again, like you said, Randy, um, how they notice always say the put it in such a great terms and how well spoken they are. So there's many ways he, meaning, of course, Cody taught us all how to live, always keeping a positive attitude and being more concerned about those around him than himself. So he was 17 years old, about a month, I understand, shy of his 18th birthday. And um you know, what a wonderful story, what a heartbreaking ending. But let's remember the good, because there was a lot more good here than there was just today's um, bad story. So um, we want to thank the Dorman family for all they did for horse racing. And uh, I'm sure that they feel a great uh, amount of gratitude for what horse racing did for them as well. Okay. Now, uh, boy, it seems funny to just move on from there to what happened on the racetrack, but that's our job here. So let's move on to the Friday Breeders' Cup. And we start off with the juvenile fillies, which, of course, the big favorite in there was Tamara, the uh, daughter of Beholder. And she didn't run particularly well. Um, she, the, the pace was somewhat fast, 22 and 3, 46 and 3, a little bit fast. But she was she finished. Um, where did she finish? Oh, boy. Seventh. OK, that's in my notes. We did find out today another piece of news, though. Uh, Dick Mandela revealed that she has a, a small fracture in the splint bone in her left hind leg will not require surgery. So I suppose um, that is a reason why she probably didn't run as well as we would have expected. But at the same time, what a great performance from just FYI, who set the stage for a beautiful and 
Breeders' Cup for Bill Mott. Matter of fact, for all the, the uh, East Coast, uh, the, the East Coast and the European guys cleaned up a tough Breeders' Cup for the Europeans. But, you know, it started off with, with, you know, and it was a really good Breeders' Cup. It didn't start. It started off with a, yeah, because you, everybody, you wanted Tamara to win uh, as a fan because of how, uh, you know, exciting a filly she was. I was a little bit disappointed by that. But there's nothing disappointing about just FYI. Uh, three for three in her career, trained by Bill Mott. We'll see her next year on the road to the Kentucky Oaks, Randy. Yeah, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was surprising that, to, I mean, she was three to five, let's face it. I mean, you know, most people expected Tamara to uh, to clean up in there. And, and she was on a pretty aggressive early pace. Uh, but just FYI was, too. She was right behind her like a length and a half behind her. So you can't really, you can't use the fractions as an excuse. We'll see next year when she comes back, fingers crossed, whether she is a two-turn type or a one-turn type. That's another possible explanation. She'd never been around two turns before. Uh, but as far as the outcome of the race, just FYI, it was the kickoff to what was one of the more surprising details of the two days of the Breeders' Cup for me. And that is that, in, at Santa Anita on dirt, historically, the West Coast horses have a built-in advantage over the East Coast horses, especially the New York shippers. We went through two days of the Breeders' Cup. Not only did not a single California horse win, there were 32 starters at the Breeders' Cup, dirt and turf, that had made their last starts at either Santa Anita or Del Mar. Only two of them finished in the money. And those were the two Bafferts, right? Uh, uh, Muth and National Treasure. Um, so, of, of you know, a Breeders' Cup in which, especially on dirt, the uh, the New York and the Kentucky-based horses just absolutely dominated. Just FYI, Zoe had been training exceptionally well and ran like she'd been training. Absolutely. I'm going to beat my tiny little drum right about now because I loved her from the get-go. I've loved her since she broke her maiden. Tamara... Yes, she came out of it with a tiny little fracture and she'll get some time off. Hopefully she just grows up a little bit and fills out a little bit more. We'll get to see her next year. But just FYI for me was the story. She's going to have a little bit of time off now, according to George Gregorian and Bill Mott, just to fill out into that beautiful big frame that she has. So she was terrific. They didn't run the fastest in the world, 144.58, when you consider that Fierceness, who we'll talk about in a minute, ran 141.90. So she did go a little bit slower. Um, she was looked like she was going to get run down. I'm pretty sure if they went round twice more, Jody's pride wasn't going to get by her. But I will give Flavian Pratt a shout out right now because he asked me about Jody's pride. He said, what do you think of my filly? I'm like, I wish she was running on turf. He's like, Zoe, everybody says that. He goes, I was on her for her last work. She's good. So a big shout out to him because she was 17 to 1 and she ran a monster race for Jorge Abreu. But much the best at the wire on the day was just FYI. And I thought we might be able to play the drinking game, but all I have is a Perrier for the amount <laughs> of times that we're going to say justify and curling on today's show. So I'll have a, a sip of my Perrier right now. Yeah, I, I think we'd all be drunk by the time we get to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile if we did that. Randy, again, you're right, the numbers. New York trainers won seven races, Europeans five, Midwest guys two, K 
California shut out. Never could have seen that coming. Now to the juvenile, we're gonna we're gonna skip over the the juvenile turf races because uh, we have obviously a lot to talk about. I got to give Todd Pletcher a ton of credit. When fierceness got beat twenty and one quarter lengths in the Champagne, I thought, okay, he's done for the year. They're gonna have to regroup. We'll see him in Florida, and maybe we'll find out what kind of horse he is in allowance race in February or something at Gulfstream. Never in a million years imagined off that race he would run him back in the Breeders' Cup. And he obviously knew something that I didn't know, that that last race was a complete throwout. He ran back to his first effort, which was a fantastic start. Got a TDN rising star out of that. And he obviously goes into the next season as the one to look for and the one to beat in the three-year-old preps. I assume that he would start off at Gulfstream and something like maybe the Fountain of Youth. Also, what's interesting to me, Mike Rapoli goes and spends a zillion dollars at the sales every year. And his best two-year-old is a homebred. How about that, Zoe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it really is. And kudos trainer Todd Pletcher, who obviously knows his horses better than we all do. He ran back exactly like you said, back to his maiden race. It's actually the first time he's actually run on a fast main track. So maybe he's better on a fast main track than he's ever been on a sloppy track. There's a reason he was favored in his debut because he'd been working sensationally in Saratoga over fast main tracks. So sky's the limit. I know that the people that stand City Light have to be delighted because people had tossed him a couple of years ago. They were giving away City of Light to 40,000. And now he's got, I think, four grade one winners to his credit. So they just needed the time. And I think people needed to know how to train the sons of this quality road sire, City of Light. They just need a little bit of time. They're not going to be early two-year-olds. So kudos to Lin Zen for having a, a good stallion on their hands. It, it, it wasn't really like any kind of a revelation to Todd, on Todd Pletcher's part and Mike Rapoli's part to run in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but he really, they really didn't have much more of an idea than we did about exactly how fierceness was going to run. Uh, what Todd said, and he told us this before the race, is that they, you know, they were so puzzled by the way he ran in the champagne, sloppy track aside that they did all the things the trainers do to try to come up with an excuse from scoping to you know, everything you can think of. Uh, and the horse came tested completely clean, absolutely nothing wrong with him. So Pletcher and Rapoli talked and said, well, let's train him uh, as we were training him and see what he shows us. And he looked exactly like the fierceness before the champagne, before his debut in Saratoga, looked exactly the same, training sensationally. So Todd says, well, yeah, we got a choice. We can run him in the Nashua, skip the Breeders' Cup, kind of regroup a little bit, run him in the Nashua. And if he wins the Nashua, no one will know. <laughs> It'll be almost invisible, <laughs> right? Or we can, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and send him out to Santa Anita, see how he trains out, you know. And, that, and that's exactly what they did. And that's what they got. They got the same fierceness that broke his maiden in Saratoga that looked like a derby horse. What I don't understand, <laughs> Irad Ortiz has a choice between fierceness and noted, and they took fierceness. I mean, they took noted instead of fierceness. That that to me was a sh before the race was a was a was a puzzle. I don't know what I was more surprised about the fact that fierceness paid thirty five dollars, knowing that he had talent that if he, if he could get back to that. You know, he would have a chance to win. And Ortiz wrote noted 
instead of fierceness when he could have been on the winner. I do want to remind you that the TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Now, as we speak, the Keeneland November breeding stock sale is underway. And guys, it's 70 degrees in Lexington, Kentucky. Who'd have thought? It runs through November the 16th, followed by the standalone Horses of Racing Age sale on November the 17th. The catalog offers 3,569 weanlings, broodmares, and racing or broodmare prospects. With standouts like grade one winners, Caravelle, Dalika, and classic producer, Puka. Check out the updates on november.keenland.com. We'll be right back after this message from Keenland. At Keenland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. In this week's edition of First Things First, I scoured the backside. I was looking for Bill Mott to talk about his three uh, Breeders' Cup winners. Bill had already gone. Elite Power, Cody's Wish had already gone. But I'll tell you who I caught up with. It was George Krikorian with his homebred, just FYI. Do you like your carrots, cut? Sure. He's got the carrots. Uh, let's see how we're going to eat. Scouts are playing. So this is the day after. She made us all the money. She made you the winner, a homebred to win the Breeders' Cup. How was that for you? Oh, that's fantastic. It was <laughs> wonderful. And she came out of the race feeling so good and happy. So we're grateful and looking forward to going to take a break now for a few months. And then we'll be looking forward to what happens in the springtime. Have you got ahead of yourself and thought about a three-year-old on the road to the Kentucky Oaks? Because, you know, everyone's thinking about it yeah. already. No, I'm not, not thinking about any, any specific races right now, although, of course, those are very special races that will be coming up. But, you know, I guess she'll be telling us you know, where she wants to go in the springtime. Bill had a massive day with three wins and yeah. a huge day. The boys already left to go off to their, <laughs> their new stud career. But what about all I got us? What's the plan with her now? Uh, she came out of the race really good. Unfortunately, she had a bright bad post position, and but, uh, she just didn't get a good shot at the yesterday. But she came out feeling fantastic. So, you know, we'll talk to Bill and see what, what he recommends now moving forward. Will she go to the breeding shed, or are you going to... What's the plan? We have, there's no decisions that made yet. All right, great. Yeah. Really great to hear from George, guys. And just FYI, she only likes her carrots in little, small increments. But she's going to be a champion, so why not? All right, let's move along now to the Saturday Breeders' Cup races, starting off with the Dirt Mile. We've already talked about, we all know Cody's Wish wins this by a nose over National Treasure. I tried to beat this horse. I still don't think he's at his best around two turns, even though he's won two 
two-turn Breeders' Cup dirt mile races now, but he just won it on class, if you ask me. He's just a very good horse, um, and I think that's what prevailed in the end. Uh, National Treasure, who I didn't like one bit, I didn't give him a prayer, ran a huge race for Bob Baffert, uh, the Preakness winner who uh, hadn't done much of anything. And then how about this? There's an inquiry. Are the stewards going to, to be the Grinches that stole the great story of Cody's wish? Well, not only did they not take him down, there was no no question that the horse shouldn't have come down. It was, uh, if anything, I think National Treasure uh, uh, caused more of the problems than Cody's wish. I want to talk a little bit later on the show about the horse of the year picture and the older dirt male champion, which Cody's wish is obviously part of the equation. But uh, Randy, a game race, one of many very exciting races. Uh, but Cody's wish, like I said, he's just all class. What, two nose victories now in the dirt mile. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I, the stars may have been aligned for Cody's wish because of the Cody's wish story. The data, I thought, was all against him. Um, I, I agreed with you that he was the kind of horse uh, just on paper from a handicapping perspective that you probably had to try to take a shot against. Um he was coming off two disappointing performances, even though he did win in his most recent start. It was still, by everybody's uh, knowledge, a, a disappointing effort. He's better around one turn than he is around two turns. There was a lack of pace in the race on paper. Didn't turn out that way because National Treasure ex you know, exploded out of the starting gate and set a realistic pace. And also, this was the coup de grace for me before the race, the fact that it was run in Southern California and how Southern California horses usually benefit on dirt more than East Coast horses. Now we know, after watching all the dirt races at the Breeders' Cup, that the East Coast horses actually, if they didn't have the advantage, they certainly didn't have a disadvantage at the Breeders' Cup. Now, whether it's because uh, they added, um, you know, cushion to the track because of uh, safety considerations that made Santa Anita play a little bit more like an Eastern racetrack, or maybe the California horses just aren't, you know, the quality of racing is just not as good as we're accustomed to seeing it. But for whatever reason, East Coast horses did great. Um, and Cody's Wish did his thing. You know, I mean, I guess the big question was, if not Cody's Wish, then who? I, I really liked Practical Move before he met an untimely demise. But, uh, you know, there wasn't much else in there. National Treasure ran huge, Zoe, but to Cody's Wish again uh, pulled it out. Let's face it, he was supposed to win that race. <clears throat> Whether you loved him or didn't like him, his class and all his races before towered over the rest of the field. National Treasure stepped up to the mark and ran a very big race indeed, and I think the whole grandstand would have booed National Treasure into the winner's circle if the stewards <laughs> had indeed taken Cody's wish down. I saw Bill Mark walking down to the winner's circle down the stairs like he did, followed by NBC, and Bill looked at me because he wasn't quite sure initially. And he's like, right, right. He like puts his hands up like, like a foot, like we got it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got it. And then when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, they hang the inquiry sign. And I'm like, oh my God, what are they looking at? They're not taking him down. And then I managed to run into Bill again. And I kept running into him that day, going down the elevator for the next race. And I'm like, Bill, they were never taking your horse down. He goes, God, could you imagine if they'd have took us down? He said, Cody's a big horse. When that horse came out and bumped him, National Treasure, he leaned back into him. And that's what he did. They had an argy-bargy leaning race. I don't think he was ever coming down, but it sure did make you wonder because the inquiry sign was hung for 
what? It was probably seven minutes, wasn't it? It was a long, long time. So he wins the race. National Treasure runs a very big race to be second. Skippy Longstockings ran a big race to be third. But it was always, always going to be Cody's wish, for sure. Cody's wish for the second straight year wins the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Next up on the card, the Philly and Mayor Turf. On paper, it looked like this was going to be between the two European stars, Inspiral and Warm Heart. Inspiral going from a mile to the mile and a quarter. She had never gone this far. Warm Heart turning back from the mile and a half to a mile and a quarter. So both, neither one were, were uh, perfect fits for the distance, but it didn't matter at the end as both of them ran uh, exceptional races. Inspiral gets the job done by a neck over Warm Heart. And and uh, Frankie DeTore gets his Breeders' Cup win. But... Um, a couple of things. What what a turn of foot we saw from Inspiral. And we saw from a bunch of European horses. That just ability in the last 16th of a mile to just explode. And I'm not so sure we really see that from the American turf horses. But, uh, and how about John Gosden? He won a race at the first ever Breeders' Cup back in 1984. 39 years later, he wins again with uh, a European shipper and, and a horse that uh, had a, a tremendous campaign. But uh, the longevity of Gosden and what he's accomplished, Zoe, is just, uh, I, I, I think, tremendous. When he said he was going to bring Inspiral over, there was nobody more excited than me to see her in the flesh because she was fantastic. I, I laughed with Frankie. I said, man, she looks great. He's like, you think? Because her coat's long, her mane is long. He goes, she's a little witchy out on the track. He goes, but yeah, I love her. I love mm -hmm. her. She looked great all week long for Gosden. No question about the turn up in distance for her. Like I said, you could ride a bicycle down that hill and never have to pedal and you'd still get to the eighth pole. So the distance was not going to be a problem. She came home in 22.68, the final quarter of a mile. She was rocking. She was ninth by one length at the eighth pole. She has got a turn of foot like no others. Looks like she's going to stay in training. Thanks for that, Mr. Randy Moss. And we'll get to see her next year. But she truly was terrific. She gave Frankel his very first Breeders' Cup winner. Now, there's only been five progeny of Frankel to ever run in the Breeders' Cup. But she did get one out for Frankel. And I, I thought she was good. Moira ran a huge race. And Warm Heart ran a big race as well. So if you were trying to make any money on that race, maybe if you teamed up with Moira as well and had the one, two, three, but it was always going to be in Spiral and Warm Heart. Frankie DeTore's 15th Breeders' Cup win. In Spiral, have had 10 straight races at the one-mile distance. Now next year, she may be more of a mile-and-a-quarter horse than she is a mile horse, the way she ran at, at Santa Anita. Look, the concerns for in Spiral were that she'd never run a mile-and-a-quarter before. John Gosden said... Don't be concerned. She'll handle a mile and a quarter just fine. The concerns with Warm Heart was that she was dropping from a mile and a half down to a mile and a quarter. Aiden O'Brien said she's got tactical speed. We're going to get the jump on in spiral. We're going to ride her forward. And if anybody beats us at the wire, it's going to be a horse that just gets the mile and a quarter better than we do. And those are the two horses it came down to. It played out just exactly like that. And in spiral was just the better of the two in one of these uh, European matchups that sometimes happen at the Breeders' Cup that, that really is what makes the Breeders' Cup so special.
Philly and Mayor Sprint was next up on the card. When Echo Zulu got hurt, that really took a lot of starch out of this race. And uh, Goodnight Olive was going to win this unless society freaked out again like she seems to do every so often. Um, but as we had talked about on the show last week, you know, from a class standpoint, uh, Goodnight Olive, you know, just steady grade one competitor. Um, you know, there really wasn't much in the way of competition. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. She was a very logical pick, I thought. Uh, she wins for the New York contingent again for Chad Brown uh, fairly easily uh, by two and three quarter lengths and another back to back Breeders' Cup winner. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only dicey moment for uh, for her was at the post position draw when she got an inside post after what happened to her at Churchill Downs on Derby Week in the Derby City Distaff when she got trapped in behind horses and couldn't get out. That was about the only way she was going to lose the race, right? But once Irad Ortiz managed to work his way, it was a Flavian Pratt. Zoe, who wrote her? Irad. Irad, okay, that's what I thought. Once I read, <laughs> I have to ask other people about jockeys, but. Uh, so once I read, got her off the rail and got her uh, in, into clear sailing, it was over. It was absolutely over at that point. Uh, she'll, just like uh, uh, some of the other horses we've seen, just like Cody's Wish and some more we'll talk about, uh, she'll now be retired, sold and retired. Uh, but it's nice to see a back-to-back -back winner like that deliver. Yeah, she was absolutely terrific. And no surprise that she won the race. Chad Brown won two Breeders' Cup races. She was much, much the best, and that—that's all you can say. It didn't. She could have been breaking from the twenty hole. It—it it really wasn't going to matter with Echo Zulu being taken out of the equation. She was just much the best. She towered over the rest. All right, we come up next on the Breeders' Cup Mile, and this—if there's any uh, competition or voting for the most exciting. Breeders' Cup race of the two days. This one wins uh, easily. And boy, Godolphin, I mean, you got to give these guys credit. Uh, they bring these horses over and they run. The we had the interesting. It was Godolphin versus Godolphin, but different trainers. Charlie Appleby with Master of the Seas and Seed Ben Sur with Maj. Uh, both of them look great on paper. Uh, Maj looked like she was going to get home for Saeed Ben Sur. And talking about that turn of foot that that some of these horses huh. have. Master of the Seasons, the chart was 11th out of 13 horses with an eighth of a mile to go. She had two horses beat with an eighth of a mile go. She ran down her stable mate for a Godolphin 1-2 exacta to win uh, in the closest race of the day. And, uh, you know, we thought going into the, uh, well, originally she drew, uh, he drew 14, turned out to be uh, 13. Um, but it wasn't a big deal. He was not wide on the first turn, was, was wide on the second turn. Had a tougher trip than Maj, but uh, a beautiful ride by William Buick and Godolphin. Um, obviously, Zoe, when they come to the Breeders' Cup, they mean business. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I have to say, a tiny, well, actually, most of me was rooting for Saeed. Sorry, sorry, Charlie, but you get plenty of chances. I would have loved to have seen Saeed win it with Maj, but not meant to be. Master of the Seas got a terrific ride by Buick. It just shows why he is the number one rider for Godolphin. He just weaved his way through there and just rode him absolutely brilliantly. But my heart was going out to Saeed, who was one of the first ones to arrive here at Santa Anita. So I'm driving around on the golf court. I really, I didn't, honestly, I didn't really like Marge going into the either. race. I was just rooting for Saeed. She ran a terrific race. I questioned the 7 eights work on the dirt because she did not look that great, but he knows his horse. She came back and trained very nicely over the turf course. But yeah, my heart goes out to Saeed. But hey, 
What a terrific run by Casa Creed as well. Like Bill Mott's horses ran lights out all weekend. Casa Creed running third there, the seven-year-old. You know, he came up against two monsters. Yeah, there is a rivalry uh, within the Godolphin Empire between the Charlie Appleby camp and the Saeed Ben Soror camp. It, it's not as much from the Appleby side because they're getting all the good horses as it is from the other side. Uh, because Saeed, as we know, used to get all the A-team for Godolphin, and now he's kind of left just to make do with whatever he gets. Uh, so it would have meant a lot more, I think, to Saeed uh, to win the race than it did for Appleby. Appleby was totally classy after the race about the whole thing. Uh, but can you imagine uh, a one-two finish like that? About the ride, uh, which is one other thing I want to mention about this, that, you know, from the 13 post position out of 13, okay, it, it really, I mean, we talk about this all the time. We see it all the time. But Buick if he had just set on master the seas coming out of the gate and, and not gone forward or not taken back, then he probably finds himself in the middle of the pack where most of the horses are and he gets caught five wide around the first turn and he has absolutely no chance at that, at that juncture. So the options were to go forward or to take way back. Uh, if they went forward, master of the seas is not the kind of horse that you can, you can turn on and then turn off. He's, he can get extremely keen when he's given his cue. So Buick knew that he couldn't go forward. The only choice at that point was to grab him coming out of the gate and take him way back and hope to heck that there was enough pace in the race to be able to make that strategy work. And he was next to last early because of the post position draw. And fortunately for Master of the Seas, uh, there was a horse in the race called Win Carnelian from Japan. Whether the horse was doing it for the other Japanese horse song line, who knows? We don't speak Japanese, but it the pace ended up being exceptionally fast. Six furlongs, 109.12. And that helped set up Master of the Seas Late Kick, which, by the way, was a final quarter mile in just a touch under 22 and 1 and a final furlong in 10 and 4. That horse was absolutely flying the last eighth of a mile to get up and win in the last jump. Now, as far as who had the best trip, you can make a case that Master of the Seas, given the pace scenario, actually had a better trip than Maj, because Maj was a length and a half to two lengths behind 109.12, whereas Master of the Seas was back, benefiting from the fast pace back in the pack. Yes, he had a little bit of a wider trip, but... For Maj to hang in as toughly as she did after attending the pace that she did, uh, credit to both horses for running exceptional races. Breeders' Cup distaff, idiomatic. What a warrior this horse is. This is a Bill Finley kind of horse. She runs and she runs and she shows up every time. None of these four starts a year crap for her. She's run nine times this year, has won eight of them. Um, this wasn't, was, uh, nowhere near her most impressive performance of the year. She just kind of was grinding. Um, but a very smart ride by Florent Giroux. We had all talked about, uh, you know, there's going to be this big pace meltdown here. And he was really patient. He let Randomize go to the front. He stood right behind her, a length back, length and a half back. Um, you know, she proved that she doesn't have to have the lead. She got the job done, a blanket finish, 
Um, but you know, again, this is a type of horse that, you know, you got to admire for the way she just shows up every single time for us, uh, five straight wins. Now, uh, three straight grade ones. And, uh, I think a legitimate horse of the year contender. So I mean, we'll have your top three and we'll get to those a little bit later. I mean, already Brad Cox has given her a big old shove for horse of the year. There's no question. She's a win machine, but until really the last couple of races, She's been running against much inferior quality. I mentioned that she had last week a head only a mother could love. Well, she used that. She won by half a length and a head. She got a terrific ride under, under Florent Giroux, who, you know, won this race once more, but she, she was just the best. She's a grinder. She is a grinder. That's what she does. A mile and a quarter is her distance. She just gallops along. She makes now her sire, Carlin the all-time winning sire for Breeders' Cup runners with eight. He had three last year on the 2022 Breeders' Cup card, and he had three this year as well. So we were drinking to Carlin and Justify. I'll have another sip of my Perrier <laughs> right now. But uh, the- it, it, was, oh, it, it was a terrific Breeders' Cup for her, and uh, yeah, she was the best of the rest. I mean, idiomatic, randomized, uh, La Davida outrun her odds. There was really no one. I mean, maybe Adair Manor was disappointing in search results. I know Chad Brown was very, very high on search results, but Bob had to be disappointed in Adair Manor. Did she have any major excuses? Not that I saw. Not that I saw either. She just didn't get the same kind of trip that she'd been getting. And that was the concern going in for idiomatic as well. It was Brad Cox's concern. I mean, we had talked about it, about how she had been getting these soft, sanitary early leads and now you had Hoosier Philly with blinkers in the rail, and they were going to blast off. He had randomized with all that speed. You had a Dare Manor with all that speed. That it was going to be a completely different world for Idiomatic. And she was compromised by the pace. She only ran a 96 buyer speed figure as opposed to the triple-digit buyer speed figures than she usually did. So she was vulnerable, actually, the way the race turned out. She was vulnerable given the way the pace scenario developed. It's just that the horses that we expected that could capitalize on that didn't show up. Search results didn't run nearly as well as she had been running and as Chad Brown thought she would run. And Clary Air, who you would have expected on her best races to really come rolling uh, and turn in one of those triple-digit buyer speed figures, uh, just looks like she's probably not as good now at the end of her career. Uh, as she was earlier this year. So that left idiomatic fighting as she always does to the wire and being a uh, getting a hard earned but well deserved win. Okay, the next race on the card was a turf and then the classic. We're going to wait to get back to those because I want to save those for the, the last segment. Um, so the next race that came up was the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. Um, uh, no balls and uh, yes, yeah, the NBC crew. You were like naughty little boys with that, uh, <laughs> that segment about. Uh, making fun of that name it was actually kind of cute, Randy. I, I liked it. Um, but let's go then to the final race, the sprint. And I gotta tell you, I don't know how you guys felt being at the track, but as a TV viewer, I found the last two races incredibly anticlimactic after the, the classic. I mean, you just saw the classic and it's okay. This has been a great breeders cup day. And, you know, we saw championship performances, you know, all these good horses showed up. There was, you know, Thankfully, no incidents on the track, no injuries or anything like that. You know, uh, Zoe, I was ready to start drinking then, but there's these <laughs> two races left. Now, I understand, um, understand the college football rules today. 
understand that NBC um, uh, had obligations to the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, to turn and have to turn to Peacock to watch Randy and the team, it was it was just, I don't know, like I said, it just, it made the last two races kind of blah to me. Um, you know, uh, when we get back to uh, the East Coast, uh, I'm sure we'll have the same thing next year when we get back to the East Coast. Uh, I assume Keeneland will be the next time there'll be one in the Eastern uh, time zone. Maybe we can um, uh, get back to uh, having the classic as the last race. Uh, Leap Power, uh, boy, is he a good horse. Um, it's funny, I, I wrote the column in the TDN. I listed five horses as candidates for horse of the year, and I didn't include him. And somebody wrote me, says, how can you not include this horse? Look at the year he had, you know, uh, all the, uh, the accomplishments and this rivalry with Gunite, you know, they run four times against one another. He shows up every time he's got, uh, the best of the, the horses running. I think we're going to talk a little bit later about him being the fastest horse of the week, uh, out of the Breeders' Cup. But to me, the reason why nothing against this horse, but the reason why I don't consider him horse of the year candidate is because voters don't vote for sprinters. Um, there has never been a true sprinter in the history of Horse of the Year when the Eclipse Award started in 1971, who won Horse of the Year title. Forgo got it a couple of times. He did sprint, but he did a lot more than that. So I don't want to take anything away from Elite Power, but a huge Breeders' Cup for Judmont, uh, winning with uh, Idiomatic and Elite Power. Now Elite Power goes off to Judmont, where uh, I'm sure he will be highly regarded as a sire candidate, Zoe. By Carlin, right? Drink. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was great. And I was I was against him going in there. He just proved what an absolute champion he is and why Bill Mock is one of the best, if not the best, of keeping his horses at the top of their game. Along with him and Steve Asmussen, he does a great job with that as well, to keep these horses good for as long as they have been good. I mean, these are horses that we know off by heart. We know their form because they've been around for a few years, which is just never happens anymore. So a big applause. We need more Bill Marts in this game to keep these horses going like he keeps them going. And Elite Power, once more, all heart, terrific race by him. No balls was a tough act to follow, but Elite, <laughs> Elite Power uh, ended the Breeders' Cup on a, uh, on a very high note. I was against him, too, until... I saw the way the track was playing in uh, and that East Coast horses could run just as well as California horses. On paper, it looked like there wasn't a lot of early pace in there, uh, and at least by Breeders' Cup sprint standards, and there wasn't. They went the first quarter in 21.99 by Breeders' Cup sprint standards. That's very slow, and I thought Speedboat Beach being on the lead, California speed, California track, you know, he would play to his advantage. But when you saw that California horses had zero advantage, then it became Elite Power as definitely the horse to beat. Elite Power versus Gunite, part four. And it turned out the way three of them have. Uh, Elite Power is just a better horse. And he got back to that same form that he showed in Saudi Arabia, really, when he blew away Gunite. Frankie DeTore was on him that day and just raved about him. And this is just a really, really top-notch horse. But horse of the year, uh, no, I agree. TD and Riders are brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. Disappointment in the turf sprint with the two Pennsylvania breads, Roses for Deborah, who I really liked, and the defending champion Caravelle. Neither one of them ran up to their usual standards, but Caravelle is now set to star on a different stage. She will sell in book one of Keeneland November this week, along with her dam ZZ Zoom Zoom, 
who is in full to justify. And another reminder, we tell you this every week, but it's important. Don't forget to justify. There you go, Zoe. Don't forget the last leg of the $1 million two-year-old PA sired PA bred stallion series. It's December 27th, two $200,000 races at a mile and 70 yards. PABread.com is the website to check to see if your two-year-old is nominated or you can email info at PABread.com. Bread, I think we've built a, a brand at this point. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravelle in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state bred program in the country, bar none. The best breeders' awards and stallion awards in the country. TD and Writer's Room also brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm. Before we get into the fastest horse of the week, the sire at Windstar we're going to talk about this week. Boy, was he fast. Life is Good, whose first infall mares will sell this week at Phasic Tipton November and at Keeneland November. Life is Good, of course, is the fastest son so far of Into Mischief. And with 192 mares bred in his first book, 70 of those were graded stakes winners or graded stakes producers, 25 grade one winners or producers. What a book of mares he got. So it's safe to say that after these sales, we and Windstar Farm will be saying life is indeed good. Fastest horse of the week. We just talked about it. Elite Power got a career best 111 fire speed figure for that win over rival Gunite. And now he can strut all the way to the breeding shed that's where Elite Power is headed. Fastest horse of the week, fastest horse we've seen this year, Elite Power. The Green Group is a tax consulting and advisory firm, as Lynn Green will tell you, that specializes in the thoroughbred industry and specializes in saving you money on taxes. They're also the sponsor of our weekly Green Group Guest of the Week segment. For more information on the Green Group, you can go to www.greenco.com. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. And we got a special one for you this week. It's Mark Cornett. He's the one half of C2 Racing, along with his brother, Clint. And they, of course, are the part owners of White Aberio, the winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic. And Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Um, after the races, Rick Dutrow had talked about a campaign for next year. Uh, I've seen you guys say on Twitter, just hold on, slow down a little bit. We're not exactly sure where we're going. So can we get the latest on, on what the plans are for White Aberio in 2024? Sure. Well, we're definitely keeping them in, in training. Uh, the main goal is going to definitely be the Saudi Cup. You know, like I've said, told many people, you know, if we were designed a race for this horse, one turn at a mile and an eighth, put the 20 million behind it. Uh, you, you'll finally probably find Wadabari win that race. And and, um, you know, that race timing wise is a question mark. It's about four months, roughly. And, um, you know, the only thing we really got to figure out is how to get him there at a peak. Do we run him in between? Do we send him over there to acclimate? You know, and that's something Rick and I got to talk about and discuss uh what's the best way to win that race? So, Mark, it looks like you guys had a great time out at the Breeders' Cup, uh, which is to be expected. You win a $6 million race. What was the experience like? Well, it was great. I mean, you know, the, the, the key thing for us was the 
culmination of a, basically a year and a half after we bought this horse out of the maiden special weight race and seeing what we saw on the horse, the game plan we pl- mapped out for the horse, everything basically culminating in the win in the Breeders' Cup. Very satisfying. Um, you know, that's a big part of this business. Not only the bottom line, uh, P&L, but it's also your opinion, getting the horse to the races you believe in the horse and, and, and you know, win in the races you think you should win with the, with the horse. So we were lucky enough to get the right trip in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and uh, obviously the whole team involved should be uh, celebrated. And, Mark, and during the middle of the year, your stable had to change course. As we all know, Safi Joseph ran into some problems around the Kentucky Derby time, and it wasn't clear whether or not he was going to be able to run horses in New York where you were pointing him way to burial to the Met Mile. Take us through the decision to hire Rick Dutrow. Did you consider anyone else? At the end of the day, why Rick? Well, I had Rick on my mind all along. I've known him for a long time, okay? And... Paul Pomp and I were really good friends. I put numerous horses in Rick's barn um, and some partnerships with Paul. Had a lot of success. I was lucky enough to hang around the barn with Rick, even back when Michelle was galloping for him that long ago. And, you know, I know what a good horseman he is. Okay, he's one of the best and top five in the world, in my opinion. And he's trying to rebuild his stable at the time. And we're going through what we, we're going through with basically being forced by Churchill and Naira into making a trainer switch. You know, it's hard enough to manage these horses, um, you know, into races without having politics and racetracks and vets, state vets, and everybody else try to step in and make you do things you don't want to do. And really, in reality, what's not best for the horse. So, you know, we took what we thought, was the right move. It was a bold move. I don't know too many people that would have done what we did. If any, nobody else has done it um, up to this point. And, you know, we have all the confidence in the world uh, in Rick and his abilities and, and, you know, it all worked out. So we had a very short list, two people. And I talked to Rick and we mapped out a game plan. I told him exactly what I wanted to accomplish with this horse. And he was fully on board told him what I thought the strengths and weaknesses of the horse were, which lined up with his, you know, what he does best. And the rest is history. I believe Chad Brown was the other choice. I was th- thinking about Chad and, mm-hmm. but he's got Zan in at the barn at the time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a, that was a factor that we considered, you know, we want somebody that, that, I don't want to use the word hungry, but that would pay a lot closer attention to the horse every day, hands on. I'm a big believer in that. And um, that that's that's why we chose Rick, not only because of his horsemanship skills, but because, uh, you know, his situation he was in. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about his situation. Um, obviously, you were aware at the time that picking him was somewhat of a controversial move on your part. Did that concern you at all? No, I don't care what other people think. I know what he is. Um, you know, I know exactly what kind of trainer he is. I know what kind of person he is. You know, I've spent hundreds of hours, months with him, okay, in, inside the barn. So I don't care what other people's opinions that don't know anything are. 
So he comes to New York for the Met Mile and he runs OK, but um, he wasn't the same white Iberio that showed up in the Whitney, who was so good. And of course, the same white Iberio who won the Breeders' Cup Classic. What happened in that transition? How did he go from uh, a boy to a man uh, in, in within a few short weeks and go from, you know, sort of a, a horse that a lot of people, you know, wouldn't have had on any of their top 10 lists? to a horse that wins uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic? Well, I mean, if you really go back and look at this horse, his transition started roughly in May of his four-year-old year. I went down to Churchill and saw him, and that's when we were going to run on the Churchill Downs Handicap against Cody's Wish, and that's when Churchill scratches out of the race. And this horse, I hadn't seen him in 45 days, 60 days before that, and I couldn't believe my eyes on the physical maturity of this horse, his shoulder, he probably gained 200 pounds, his hip, and that's when he was with Safi. So there was a physical transformation into a, from a boy to a man, really, during the middle of his four-year-old year, which is what you want to see. You know, pe people nowadays, they don't get to see that too much because these horses get retired as three-year-olds. And, uh, you know, this horse here, we're going to keep him in training so you, you you can hopefully see some more maturity along the way. But he just seemed to blossom in May and he's always had the mind. So that was never an issue. Physically, he, he matured at the right time. And, you know, the Pegasus race that he ran in is still a mystery to us why he ran that bad. Sometimes in this business, you just don't know. And that's when I decided to cut him back. Let's just go back to some basics here and cut him back to the seven eights. Let him get his feet under him. Let him get some confidence. Let's get a powerful race in him. You know, we knew he would like one turn. And and he did. He, that day he ran 103 buyer number with Safi at Gulfstream. And um, that's when everything started to uh, happen that we had to make the switch. So, you know, you go back to the Met Mile, which was the first race Rick had him. He only had him three and a half weeks, basically. And... You know, we thought the outcome of that race could have been a little different with a little different ride, too. I mean, um, you know, he got he kind of got broke sharp, stumbled out of the gate and and uh, kind of got covered up behind horses and he didn't really get to run. You know, his biggest assets is high cruising speed and he likes to be in the clear and be able to run when we need him to run. So, you know, it's been a gr gradual progression. And also, if you go back, you know, he ran a ninety six, a ninety nine a 103, a 106, and a 110 buyer. Those are incremental steps in the development of a horse. It's not like this horse is running 85, 90 buyers, and then all of a sudden Rick Detrow got the horse and he's mm -hmm. running a 10. That's not what happened. Mm -hmm. If you really go back and handicap his running lines, you can see not only in the buyers, but the rag, the thoroughgraph numbers, these are small incremental um, improvements, which is what you like to see in, in a racehorse. And uh, Mark, you guys still have a lot of horses with Safi. And as you mentioned, um, this decision was forced upon you by the powers that be in New York and Churchill. Um, so I imagine, you know, there's got to be a part of you that, that feels for Safi. Um, you know, that's a very, is, as good a good break this was for Rick Dutrow. This was a tough break for a, a trainer that you've, uh, you know, had a pretty strong and, and good relationship with. Yeah, and, and we still do. Like We got about 16 horses with him. We just gave him a very nice two-year-old. We paid a lot of money for it. Nyquist Colt, we're looking forward to running at Gulfstream, hopefully going this through the same series of races, Holy Bull, Florida Derby with him. It's a little premature, but we're hoping for that. But as far as Safi goes, 
you know, sometimes, sometimes in this business, you just don't know in anything really in life. You don't know why things happen. And we got caught up in something that happened for a reason. I don't know if it's the Rick Dutro reason. I don't know if it's a white barrio reason. But, you know, Safi's handled this strictly professional. He's very professional. He understood the situation. Now, because he understands the management of a horse, he understands the corner we were backed into. And he wants what's best for the horse himself. He wants to see the horse succeed and be managed correctly. So, you know, it was never anything negative, anything other with Safi other than him rooting for us and the horse. And he handled it as good and classy as anybody could possibly handle it. So Rick takes him out to Santa Anita extra early to acclimate, uh, which obviously turned out to be a winning move. But uh, once he got out there, we were hearing all sorts of uh, things about his foot problems. And there was a day or maybe once or even two occasions where he, he didn't work on the scheduled day. Um, how bad was that? How worried about that were you, were you guys? I wasn't worried about it at all. Rick wasn't worried about it. The Ian wasn't worried about it. The people that worried about it were uh, the situation was out of our control. Mm -hmm. When you have, you know, um, vet state vets, track vets, Breeders' Cup vets. There was probably, I counted at one time, 12 different veterinarians um, going around looking at the horse. We'd have six vets come one day, four vets, different vets come another day. And you know, what's, that was what's concerning to me. And that was completely out of our control. If it was up to us, we wouldn't have missed a work. Mm -hmm. Okay. We wouldn't have. Okay. The tra our own vet, Dr. Ryan Carpenter said our horse was fine. Rick Dutro said our horse was fine. Our exercise rider said the horse was fine. So, you know, there's a difference between a horse being a hundred percent perfect, which a racehorse you're not going to find rarely than a horse being racing sound and being able to go out there and work and perform. You saw how he performed. So the concern I had was, are they changing the threshold of a, of what a sound racehorse is for the breeders cup? That was the concern. The concern was never the condition of the horse ever. So, Mark, you win the race, uh, culmination of everything. Um, not, four times out of five, the winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic is Horse of the Year. Um, I don't think you are going to get it. I think Cody's wish will beat you for that. And that also, if that's the case, uh, he'll also be named older male champion. Uh, if that's the case, are you okay with that? Absolutely. I don't, I'm not a voter. Mm -hmm. and, and whatever the voters decide is fine. Um, you know, we're going to be around next year so we can take another shot at it next year. And, um, maybe, you know, maybe it's meant to be, like I just said before, for Cody's wish this year for obvious reasons. And maybe our next, ours is next year. All right. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on the Breeders' Cup win. Um, I'll get back to any chance we see him in the Pegasus World Cup before Saudi. Is that within the realm of possibility? Uh, it's, it's possible. Mm -hmm. I, I map out you know, a series of races for him. And, um, that that's on the list on the short list. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, we're going to do what's best for the horse to try to win the body cup. So, well, as you know, all his fans would love to see him race once in the U S uh, and they sure love Saudi Arabia. 
Gulf Stream of Florida. They love this horse. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Well, the Florida Derby and Holy Bull winner. Mark Cornett, congratulations to you and your brother, Clint, on a job well done. Thanks so much for joining us here on the TDN Writers Room podcast. And uh, uh, we'll get you again in 2024. There sure be uh, plenty more to talk about. So good to see a, a horse of the uh, winner, a winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic actually come back and race the next year. That's something we don't yeah, see we'll uh, too often in racing. So it's going to be Thanks great to have him back. Thanks so much, Mark. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Mark Cornett will receive a free one-hour tax consultation with the Green Group. For more information on how the Green Group can save you taxes, visit www.greenco.com. Be right back after this message from the Green Group. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Game winner first got started and ran a very, very impressive maiden race to Del Mar. Came back in the Del Mar Futurity and again won very impressively at seven furlongs and then just continued that unbelievable two-year-old year, went on to win the American Pharaoh Stakes at Santa Anita and then the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and then was obviously crowned two-year-old champion. Got the precocity to do that, plus the stamina and everything that, that his whole family indicates. Do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is, of course, brought to you by Lane's End as well. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is also a newer stallion, up to the mark, who concluded his racing career with a very, very game win to the European superstar August Rodin in the Breeders' Cup turf. Up to the mark retires with three grade one wins, one in the Coolmore Mile at Keeneland, the Manhattan Stakes at Belmont, and the Turf Classic Stakes at Churchill. The son of Top Sire, not this time, up to the mark, was on the board in nine of 12 starts and retires with career earnings of just over 2.5 million. So speaking of up to the mark, boy, what a show he and August Rodin put on and others in the turf. This is, again, these Breeders' Cup races lived up to the hype one after another. We love this race coming in because you had these uh, all these big European stars, I think, led by August Rodin. And how could our up-to-the-mark, our American horse, fare against them? I think most people, and listening to you guys on the show, Randy, uh, just believe that, hey, the European horses are better than our horses on the grass. So we're going to get trounced in here, and up-to-the-mark is not going to be able to get it done. Okay, so how does the race play out on paper? Up-to-the-mark, in, uh, in reference to no no balls, he had balls because he ran really well. But the person that really had balls was how about Ryan Moore's ride on August Rodin? You know, we'll be playing this back 50 years from now when they the 90th Breeders' Cup. We talk about the greatest rides in Breeders' Cup history. I mean, this was an insanely 
good ride, the way he cut every inch of ground. There wasn't a hole to go through on the inside, and he just went there. says, damn it, this is going to open up, or else it did. Horse got off the rail. So up to the mark uh, ran a terrific race. So did August Rodin. I think up to the mark was a little bit unlucky not to win. And that, uh, that loss probably cost him horse of the year. But the ride also cost Ryan Moore, how about this, $20,800, his fine for in the world of Hissa going one stripe over the strike limit. He uh, hit the horse seven times. You're only allowed six, but uh, he still takes home about 180000 for the ride. So I think Ryan can afford the $20,000 fine. But uh, again, a race that lived up to his hype, two good horses. And here's another thing too. If you're listening to your Eclipse Award voter, if you vote for August Rodin over up to the mark for, for the turf championship, I want your vote taken away from you. Because I people do this every year and it drives me crazy. Oh, they won the Breeders' Cup. They come in from Europe. They won the Breeders' Cup. It's not about just the one day. It's about the whole year. And what August Rodin did in Europe doesn't matter. Uh, even though he beat up to the mark, up to the mark, had the best year. He was the best American turf horse since bricks and mortar. So I will please don't vote against him for, or vote for someone else for the turf championship. Up to the mark deserves all the credit in the world for a terrific performance, Zoe. Absolutely. And I'm delighted to have, obviously, bricks and mortar was a gelding, right? He was a gelding. No, he's not. He's a stallion. He stands oh. in Japan. Oh, okay. But it's delight. I'm delighted to have him go into Lane's End because we need a good turf horse like him, a quality turf horse that's probably going to take over from Kitten's Joy, who we lost. So I'm excited about up to the mark, August Rodin. I was worried about him going in because he had good races, bad races. But at the end of the day, his class came out. He's a derby winner. He's now a Breeders' Cup winner. Ryan Moore truly showed why he is the best rider in Europe. I mean, I have to feel sorry for Donna Barton Brothers, who has to interview him post-race because he's not the most gregarious person on camera. You've got to really know Ryan to, he's got a wicked sense of humor, but you have to know him to be able to get that out of him. So he just showed once more how absolutely terrific he is. And yeah, he was the best race. Disappointing effort from Mustadaf. Disappointing effort from King of Steel. I know perhaps the connections but I spoke to like the traveling head loud afterwards and he said that Frankie rode him great until he pulled him out and he was so wide turning for home. But what are you going to do? He's a giant juggernaut of a horse. You don't want to get stopped. Uh, but the best horse in the race just happened to be August Rodin. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I agree with you, Bill, that uh, he shouldn't be the turf champion on the basis of one race. He did have a better year yes. than up to the mark winning the Epsom Derby and the Irish Derby, et cetera. But he did it over there mostly. I've always felt there should be a rule for Eclipse Award voting that a horse has to have at least two races in North America before he can be considered as an Eclipse Award winner in this country, but whatever on that. Uh, it, it's amazing to think back about five or so years ago, and the scuttlebutt from Ireland was that the lads from Coolmore were not entirely pleased with Ryan Moore and they were looking for his replacement as their number one rider. Uh, and now fast forward, he is riding better now than he's ever ridden in his life over the past few years. He's just been absolutely sensational. This is just one of many great rides that Ryan Moore has turned in, even at the Breeders' Cup. It's easy to look at this race 
and I did initially, and say, you know, what a golden trip August Rodin got, right? Up to the mark, an unlucky loser. August Rodin gets through every step of the way. Just a brilliant, beautiful trip. And you say that to Ryan Moore, and Ryan Moore says, no, 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 no. He said, it was not a good trip. He said, I did not want to be that far back. Early in the race, there was a lot of traffic. A lot of horses were getting bounced around a little bit. August Rodin was one of those. He was forced to race farther back than he wanted to. Uh, Ryan Moore thought he was in trouble. When he was asked if going to the rail was his, was plan A, he said it wasn't even plan F. He, he had to go to the rail at that point because he was so far behind, he felt that he needed some sort of an edge to try to get back into it. He couldn't just circle horses at that point and still hope to win. So great ride, great effort from Auguste Rodin. Uh, and he is uh, a little enigmatic, good race, bad race, as Zoe pointed out, but what a day he picked for what Aiden O'Brien said he felt was the best race of his career. And he's going to be in training next year, apparently. It's not set in stone, but it sounds as if the boys at Coolmore, as Aiden O'Brien calls them, uh, are seriously considering bringing him back. And MV Magnier even mentioned the Breeders' Cup Classic as a fantasy goal for this horse next year, since he's by Deep Impact, who is by Sunday Silence. Yeah, on the show, Aiden O'Brien also talked about the possibility of that, said how well he had trained uh, over the dirt uh, at Santa Anita while there. Okay, so uh, the Breeders' Cup and NBC may not have concluded with the classic, but here on the TDN Writers' Room, we're going to conclude with the race you should conclude with, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, Randy, uh, you in particular were kind of tough on this race last week, and, you know, it was a watered-down field. There were so many defections of so many good horses, including Archangelo. So was this the best Breeders' Cup Classic? Far from it. As a matter of fact, I think it's fair to say that it was one of the weaker Breeders' Cup Classics we've seen in a long time. But I got a feeling that White Oberio was going to win no matter what. This was just his day. It was a great training job by Rick Dutrow. He ran back to that huge race he ran in the Whitney. Could uh, a healthy Forte, could a healthy Archangelo, could a healthy um, Mage have beaten him? I, I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, that's all hypothetical. Uh, we don't know. Um, the other big story, of course, was the Rick Dutrow saga. Uh, after coming back uh, 10 years of suspension, this time a year ago, um, he was out of the game, didn't even have any, was not able to train a horse. And then lo and behold, he wins the Breeders' Cup Classic just uh, a few months uh, after he comes back. And um, he's got a lot of fans out there. There's a lot of people that pull for him. I'm sure there's some people that aren't aren't big fans of his. But, um, you know, it was he was very emotional, and, and you can understand why. And, yes, we've got a Breeders' Cup Classic winner that's actually coming back to race next year, as they've talked about heading to Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Cup, which makes perfect sense to me. But, uh, Randy, your take on the Classic. Uh, it was a great training job to have him uh, overcome the various foot problems that the horse has, has been bothered by since, according to Dutro, since all the way back in the summer, the Metropolitan Mile. They've been uh, they've been working on them and making sure he, he says he's been at like 95 percent, not 100 uh, percent. But the decision to bring him out to Santa Anita early and train at Santa Anita and avoid all the rain on the East Coast turned out to be a fortuitous decision. And I'll say, look, he was the best horse. He was the best horse. Nothing untoward happened to him during the race. He got a great ride from Irad Ortiz uh, or an uneventful ride, which turns out to be a great ride when you're on the best horse. 
And uh, that's just uh, that's just what happened. He was uh, he was best on the day, and I thought he was best on paper. And who was second best? Derma Sotogaki. Knowing <laughs> why some of us picked him in the Kentucky Derby. I felt very vindicated by Derma Sotogake coming back and running well, not even having had any prep race at all since the Kentucky Derby way back the first Saturday in May. You know what, Randy, speaking of that, with Derma Sotogake have not having run since the Derby and with um, White Barrow not having run since the Whitney, forget about anybody ever again running in, in you know those fall prep races. Um, look, you know, I, I hate it, but if it works, it works. And um you know, especially with Derma Sotogaki, he hadn't run since the Derby, but uh, Rick Dutcho knew what he was doing, and that worked out well. But uh, yeah, the, the the days of seeing um, horses run in those fall fall prep races for the Breeders' Cup, um, I think, are going to be few and far between, which is uh, not the best thing for the sport. But uh, nonetheless, the goal is, of course, to win on Breeders' Cup Day, and they pulled it off. So, yeah, they really did, and. I couldn't be happier for trainer Rick Dutrow. Whatever you think of trainer Rick Dutrow, he has served his time. 10 years is an awful long time to be away from the sport and to come back in pretty much his first year and take down the Breeders' Cup Classic. Babe, that's a great outcome, whichever way you look at it. I do have to say one thing, though. You do have to feel for trainer Safi Joseph who had this horse taken away from him through the issues he was going through in the spring. So you, you got to feel for Safi, but kudos to Rick Dutrow for, for pulling it off. This horse was most definitely the best horse in the race. And I'm looking forward to seeing him train next year. I really, really am. It's just a $40,000 purchase. It just goes to show you why we love this game of horse racing, doesn't it? I mean, anything can happen. This this is going to be a movie. Rick Dutcher away for 10 years, comes back <laughs> with a $40,000 horse and takes down the Breeders' Cup Classic. Like, how good well, is Bill, that? you'll be very chagrined to know, if you don't know already, that if if the plans hold, uh, he will not run again until the Saudi Cup, and then he will go to the Dubai World Cup. Then he will not run again until the Whitney and then he will not run again until the Breeders' Cup Classic next year at Del Mar. Now, I believe um, Mark Cornett tweeted out that whatever you read about where he's going, nothing is set in stone. Because that, that was reported by the DRF and he came right back with, well, we're not, we're not sure. Nothing is set in stone yeah. just yet regarding Saudi and Dubai. So we'll just have to wait and see. And in 2024, that would be an Iron Horse <laughs> campaign. Um, remember, we're coming off a year with Flightline. Only ran three times, Horse of the Year and Breeders' Cup Classic winner. Okay, guys, um, I uh, got up and raved, ranted about the Turf uh, Eclipse Award, but let's get now to Horse of the Year. And, uh, you know, in nine years out of 10, there's no drama whatsoever. You know, the minute the Breeders' Cup is over, we know exactly who Horse of the Year is, you know, flight line last year, uh, it, 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 et cetera. I like this a lot better because this is as wide open a Horse of the Year race as I have, uh, I, that I can ever recall. Now, uh, I'm in print today in the Thoroughbred Daily News saying that I was going to vote for um, Idiomatic for, you know, my uh, full career things. But you know what, guys, I, I got, and, and I don't know what is the right way to feel about this. And, and I'll appreciate your opinions. Um, I think I'm going to change Cody's wish because of what happened today with uh, Cody Norman. And it's, Sometimes horse of the year, I think it's okay to look at things beyond what happened on the racetrack. 
I don't think Cody's wish was, uh, I think idiomatic and, uh, and maybe even White Iberio have, have better uh, credentials to beat horse of the year. But, you know, he was such, this was such a story and so emotional. I think when you add that on to what he did on the racetrack, yeah, I, I think that, that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking outside the box here a little bit. But it reminds me a little bit of, of Zenyatta and Blame. I voted when Blame beat Zenyatta. Um, I thought, well, okay, this is obvious. Blame is horse of the year. And what the voters did and what I didn't understand was Zenyatta was rewarded for what she meant to the sport and how much she deserved to be horse of the year after losing the pri- previous year to Rachel Alexander when both those Phillies had just sensational years. Um, I got to think about this, and, and it's it's not normally the way I look at horse of the year, but Randy, I, I think it's fair to, to take that story into account when deciding. I don't think you're outside the, the box. Year. I think you're standing right in the middle of the box. Uh, uh, Cody's wish was four to five in the dirt mile for the reasons you just uh, mentioned. I'd make him two to five to be horse of the year. I think it's an absolute slam dunk that Cody's wish is going to be horse of the year. I'm right with you. Absolutely. And I mean, you could vote for Wider Barrio, but then you've got to think that Cody's wish beat him in the Met Mile. Now, at some point, we have to decide when us as people that vote for Horse of the Year and part of the Turf Riders group that does all the voting, do you vote with the facts or do you vote with your heart? Like, which is it going to be? That's the problem with the human equation in this whole voting process that you can't seem to stop voting with your heart. I'm going to vote with Cody's wish because I think he's the most deserving. He beat the other horse that's probably going to be second, and that's Wider Barrio. Beat him on the square in the Met Mile. So not only am I putting the facts first there, I'll throw in a little bit of my heart as well for the whole Cody's wish story. As far as Idiomatic is concerned, she's won eight of nine this year, but no one had really, she hadn't really jumped on the page till her second to last grade one win because of where she'd been running and who she'd been beating. So, yes, you can make a case. She will be one of the finalists, but nobody in their right mind is not going to vote for Cody's wish. Hey, Bill, how about Auguste Rodin for Horse of the Year? <laughs> Someone will do that. Someone will. You know that. Yeah, there'll be some knucklehead out there. That, no, they will. That. They always do. Oh, their votes should be rescinded. In England and Europe. Europe doesn't count. It's the American Eclipse Awards, goddammit. I hate that. I just, it's so stupid, you know? Um, if they want to make it the World Eclipse Awards, yeah, I'll guess we're Dan. But um, I'm sorry, I'll lift the flamethrower there. There, there, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know what? Very, both of you, very well said on Cody's wish, and um, yeah, I uh, I think it. Um, Zoe, you said that you think he deserves it when you take the the just uh, for both reasons for when you vote with your heart and with your head. Um, I don't necessarily completely agree, but I'm going to vote with my heart. And uh, I'm going to put that uh, into the equation. And uh, what I wrote in today's Thoroughbred Daily News, never mind. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> the TD and Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's XBTV Workout of the Week belongs to the six-year-old Calbred Gelding Brickyard Ride, who on Sunday at Santa Anita sped a half mile in 46 and four-fifths seconds. That was the fastest of 58 works at that particular distance on Sunday morning. Brickyard Ride's last start, a little disappointing. He finished fourth in the California flag handicap, but he would be considered 
a potential starter for the Cary Grant Stakes. That's coming up at Del Mar on November the 15th, a $100,000 stakes race for Calbred three-year-olds and up at seven furlongs. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. West Point won its 75th race of the year last week with final boss scoring out at Santa Anita. That uh, runs up the score on what has been a record season for the stable and reaching the winner's circle. The two-year-olds now will be in focus over the next few weeks with scheduled runners coming up on the Stars of Tomorrow Day program at Churchill Downs. That's always good to watch. That's November the 25th and included in those starters, Stretch Ride, who is two for two and scheduled to go next in the grade two Kentucky Jockey Club. Well, guys, that was a terrific uh, Breeders' Cup wrap-up show. Um, what a really good Breeders' Cup, Randy. It, it, it um, you know, is so many good performances, so many good races, uh, and so many memorable races. And uh, you didn't have that crazy 50-to-1 winner win um, that we seem to get every single year. Very formful. We've got some exciting horses in, the, in uh, fierceness and just FYI to look forward to next year. Uh, we've got the Breeders' Cup uh, Classic winner coming back for another year, which you almost never see. So uh, I give uh, an A-plus to the whole team and thought it was well, one of the better Breeders' Cups that we've seen in a long time. And I especially love the coverage, Randy, when you show your pile of papers there. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you, do you it's... How do you not like get a hernia bringing all that stuff from Minnesota? Uh, I uh, what are we uh, Monday, uh, Bill? I have hernia surgery on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I can't believe you asked. I can't believe you asked me and that. I, but yes, uh, I do. I, really? I, do you really? Oh my goodness! Wow. Okay. Well, best of luck in getting through that. Well, we know where you got it from. You know, toting around. 500 pounds of papers all over the country. But uh, in all honesty, that's why you're so good because the work you put into it. So uh, as a viewer, uh, uh, I appreciate it. And the, I think the whole NBC team is just outstanding. So. Well, let's wrap up the show on that note. I want to thank again my partner Zoe Cabin and Randy Moss, our co-producers Katie Petruniak and Anthony Laraca, our editors Aaliyah Laraca and Nathan Wilkinson. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, no more Breeders' Cup, but we'll find something to talk about, I'm sure. Thanks for viewing us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the TDN Writers Room Podcast.